Do you have an interest in the legacies that historical and not so historical figures leave behind? Are you curious about how to ensure family heirlooms and life lessons are passed on from generation to generation? Are you interested in developing your end of life plan to alleviate family discord and encourage generational wealth? Well, I invite you to listen to Heirloom and Legacy, a podcast that explores ancestry, heirlooms, legacy, mortality, and more. I am Angeline C. Fraser Giles, your host, and I look forward to sharing these discussions with you. Rhonda has been employed with the First Baptist Church of Glen Arden since 1996. She currently serves as the funeral services manager under the leadership of First Lady Trina Jenkins. Her spirit of compassion touches the hearts of those she serves. In addition to her work at First Baptist, she is the CEO of My Exit Plan, MEP. Rhonda dedicates her time to helping families get their house in order. She is the wife of Ronald Green, mother of three, grandmother of seven, and owner of three dogs. Her motto is, you can't take it with you. So I'm going to read a story from Ms. Green's book, and she's going to pick up on the story and talk a little bit about how she's gotten into this field. And then we'll go into some questions. If you want to ask a question, if you're online and want to ask a question, please feel free to put it in the chat and we'll make sure to try to get to your questions. So one of the stories in the My Exit Plan book, you uh, talk about this couple that had been married for 30 years, and I'll read a little bit of it. A sweet little couple in their late 70s were often seen walking hand in hand through the mall or having a meal together. After 30 years of marriage, the husband had a stroke and died the same day. This was a tragedy for his wife. It was an even bigger tragedy when she tried to apply for his military benefits, only to find out that his first wife was still listed as the spouse, even though she had died 10 years before he remarried. The VA needed her death certificate and the living spouse did not know any of the deceased spouse's relatives to contact. So Ms. Green is gonna pick up on that story and tell us how it turned out and tell us a little bit about how she got into this work. Okay, well, let me tell you, that was a very heartbreaking story um, because this woman needed the income in order for her to uh, manage her household. But we worked with her, but I tell you, it took um, a little over 18 months before we were able to get the death certificate of the first wife. And you know how they say you got to know somebody to get things done. Because if you're mm-hmm. not an immediate relative of the deceased, you're not entitled to a copy of the death certificate. But nevertheless, we were able to get a copy. And then it still took several more months before we could get everything processed. But the blessing is, is that she was eventually able to get her benefits and she was able to get all the back benefits for the past 18 months. And what I learned from that, my takeaway was, you know, when you get married, you need to ask questions. You need to ask, hey, um, you were in the army or you were in the military and you're Um, have you changed your benefits? Have you changed your beneficiary? Have you changed everything or anything? And a lot of times people don't think about that. And they wind up in this lady's situation, you know, after 30 years. Now, the problem would have been had his first wife still been living. Right. That would have really been a problem. (laughs) But That would have been another tragedy, right? A whole nother story. But, you know, I won't say fortunately she was dead, but, you know, the story ends that she was deceased and we were later able to get her death certificate and this sweet little lady uh, was able to get her benefits. And when I talked to her later, she just said, I just didn't know. So I have spent, um, since 2012, I want to say, I um 
penned out the original My Exit Plan workbook. And that book was just so that the members of my church and the people in my family and my friends could get their affairs in order. They could list out what they had, what their assets were, um, who they wanted to do what when they passed away, their executor, um, and what their wishes were. Because a lot of times we don't know what our loved ones want, and then that can create uh, confusion in a family, even among children. Right, and right. so, you know, in 2012, as I said, I put that together and I just began to see more and more of families that just did not have it together. It caused so many conflicts in families. Um, I could just, I mean, there were just so many stories, even more than what I put in the book, but situations where families were torn apart. And that broke my heart. And so as time went on, God said, you know what, Rhonda, this workbook is not enough. You gotta put the stories in a book so that people will understand just what could happen to them and they'll see what they don't want to happen to them. Mm-hmm. And so, so let me ask you, the uh-huh. workbook, the workbook came before the book. Well, the workbook did. The workbook came in 2012. Okay. And I actually had it on the church website and anybody that went to the website was able to get it for free. Mm-hmm. And that was there in 2012. And then in 2019, the book and the revised workbook was published. Okay. Okay. Thank mm-hmm. you. So mm-hmm. when you talk about the, the people in the church, one of the things that I've been reading up on in terms of just researching for this uh, preservation plans and life, you know, end of life planning is that in the black community, particularly uh, black community members who are religious, they tend to say, I, I don't need to worry about that. God will take care of everything. My family will, they know what to do. Everything will be fine. And I was, I'm just wondering if you received any resistance from members of your church in terms of doing some of this, this planning. I tell you, in 2012, I would say yes, a lot of resistance. But as time went on, people began to understand. I think they began to see people that had a plan and how Mm -hmm. smooth things went for them, for their service, for their spouse, getting their benefits and all of that, that people started catching on. Mm-hmm. And so as time went on, like uh, in 2019, I had a symposium and pastor, my pastor and I were thinking maybe three, 400 people would show up because nobody wants to talk about death. Right. But we had over 1300 people and I was really shocked. And now people are calling me today saying, hey, we need another exit plan because we want to bring the 1300 people that were there want to bring their family and their friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that, that is promising, uh, particularly in light of what's going on now with COVID-19. And we were talking prior to us getting on this, this call that you're seeing an increase of people wanting to take advantage of this uh, service that you provide and wanted to get their, their affairs in order. So could you talk a little bit about what's happening now in terms of, let's just say funeral. What is happening as people are trying to plan a funeral? That is a major, major, there just changes. Uh, First of all, you don't really know who has died from COVID-19. And so in some states and some hospitals, you know, they're just assuming, treating every case like it's a COVID case. Exactly. And that's just a precaution. The other thing is um, people uh, are so used to funerals with anywhere from 50 to thousands of people in attendance. And now because of COVID-19, you can only have 10 people in attendance at a, at a service. And that's devastating because how do you determine who the 10 people are? But this is what we're doing today. 
Um, in addition to that, I know when I have a death in our church, we would have the family come in to meet with us. And um, we're used to hugging, meeting face to face, and we can no longer do that. Um, we're used to just really spend having multiple meetings and talking about the program and, and so forth. But everything is being done virtually. We're not meeting with anyone face to face. Um, even down to the cemetery, uh, I know with the military cemeteries, at one point, and I don't know about today, but at one point, only two family members could go inside the gate for the burial. And um, there are other cemeteries that if your loved one died of COVID-19, no family could attend the burial. Only the mortician, you know, could take the body in, and that was it. Um, and then there are some cemeteries that would allow 10 people to attend. So that's a major change. It's a major mm -hmm. change. Yeah, I, I uh, have been, unfortunately, to two funerals in the past year. Mm -hmm. No, I'm sorry, three funerals in the past year. And I can't imagine, all before COVID, I can't imagine that my family and friends would not have been able to get together to say goodbye to our loved ones. With just with 10 people and keeping the distance and yeah. you know only a certain number of people going to the, to the cemetery because I remember when my cousin passed away years and years ago, my, my little niece was maybe six or seven. And years later she said, remember when we had the party when granny died? And I was like, you talking about remember yeah. we had that party and everybody was over at the house and we were all laughing and eating and I said she's talking about the repast the repast that yeah. is tradition right yeah. to get together with a bunch of people right. afterwards and you have fun, people you haven't seen in years and you're talking about the loved one who passed away and you're just having you know you know you're having a joyous celebration going in a way mm -hmm. even though it's a sad time it's still you're seeing people your family that you haven't seen in a while and I can't imagine now uh, I haven't lost anyone personally due to COVID but I can't imagine what that looks like looks like now. Yeah. It's, 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 it's more than a notion. I mean, we're talking about burials with no funerals, yes. you know, people grieving and they can't even get a hug, you know, um, and, and, and you mentioned repast. That's a major part of our culture. You know, we get together and we eat and sing and, you know, fellowship and everything. And, and then people are so used to having the celebration of life and they are, um, you know, singing and fellowship and all of that. And we're not able to do any to of do that. that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's hard. That is a, a tough one. It's already an emotionally draining time. And to, to have that is, has to be even that much more devastating. So what I want to do is talk a little bit about the documents that you have listed in, in your workbook, but not all of them, just some of the top ones that you think people really need to have in place yesterday. <laughs> um, and, and just talk about, you know, doing each one and whether or not um, people need lawyers to do some of these documents or what you find. You're in Maryland specifically, so each state has, has different laws in regards to writing up wills uh, and, and some of these other documents that you need. So let's just talk about uh, a will, for example and uh, the power of attorney, the medical power of attorney and the advanced medical directive. So if you could just talk a little bit about all of those and, because uh, I think that those are probably at the top of the list in terms of what people need to have in place right. now, particularly That's, in this age of COVID, but yeah, yeah. period. Yeah, I mean, it's even today, you know, with everything that's going on with COVID, you know, I think that people are feeling like, hey, I got to get this stuff together now, uh, just in case. So there's a big just in case. But um, first of all, I do want to say that I am not an attorney, and, but I just go on common sense. And um, one of the things um, you mentioned wills, um, I also want to add trust. Uh, okay. Everybody needs to either have a will or a trust. And it depends on your situation. You know, if you are a blended family, 
and um, one spouse says, well, I'm going to put all the kids on my, um, in my will. And the other spouse says, well, I'm only putting my kids. Now you got a problem. Exactly. So you got to work through that. And you may need to go see a lawyer to see just how you can work um, through that. I have a blended family and I have to have a trust because I have a disabled child. Mm-hmm. And if something were to happen to me, then what my home and everything would automatically go to my husband. But then if my husband passed away, I think that my kids would all be in jail if my son did not get this house or they were not able to keep the house to take care of my son. You know, so rather than leave a hot mess behind for my children to deal with, I have to make sure that I take care of that. And even though my husband is in agreement, baby, do whatever you got to do because he knows that my son is the priority. But anyhow, so having a will, um, it's very important, um, a will or a trust, because this way it clearly defines, you know, what you want done with your assets. And if you don't have a will, then you leave a situation where your families uh, could fall apart, never speak to one another, because it just didn't work out the way it should have. So that's the will. Um, The power of attorney, in my definition, is good to have, um, just like I mentioned, my daughter went to the hospital, I have her power of attorney. And so if for some reason she was incapacitated and I needed to make decisions for her, I would have been able to do so. And praise God, she came home and she's doing fine. But had she have been, you know, if they had to put her in an induced coma, or something mm-hmm. like that, um, I would be able to take care of her banking and her you know, bills, her personal business. Um, the advanced directive, uh, that's really, really, a, the advanced directive and medical um, power of attorney kind of go hand in hand. Um, I think that the advanced directive is more so for the doctors to know what your wishes are. Like for instance, if you say, listen, If I'm in a vegetated state, let me go. I do not want to be, you know, just hanging around to be hanging around. And that's the way I feel too. Give me 13 days, 13 days. That's my birthday, 13, that's it. You know, but then I don't want to be in a situation where I can hear y'all talk, you know, and somebody (laughs) saying, well, I want that bank account. Well, let's hope that that doesn't happen, but I'm sure that in some families it does. You know, so, you know, but in, in, even with all of these documents, you want to choose people that you trust. You know, you want to pray about it and make sure that there are people that are going to make, you know, good decisions, you know, and, and they're responsible themselves. So they'll be responsible taking care of, of your business. And I think more so with the medical power of attorney, um, it indicates who you leave to make those decisions, you know, for your medical, if you need to have surgery and you're not awake to say, yes, I'm okay with this surgery, then that's going to be the designated person to say, you know, I really don't think my mom would want that surgery, so I'm not going to go for it. Or yeah, we need to go ahead and move forward. And I want to add one more document to that. And Mm -hmm. that is the exit plan. And what that does is it helps your family to know what your wishes are. Families uh, used to think that I was crazy when I say, look, I have conversations with my children and all of my friends talk to their children and my family. Um, Because not knowing what your loved one's wishes are can just put your family in a whirlwind. When you know beyond a shadow of a doubt what your uh, loved one's wishes are, then you know how everybody's on the same page. Right. You know, and that's important. That there's every, no question. There's no question. There's no that's fighting. It is, it is what they said it is. That's right. And I tell you, I have seen some serious, serious fights um, at the funeral, at the home, before the funeral, after the funeral. You know, families do fight when it comes to money. Mm -hmm. And so 
having that, uh, spelling out what your wishes are, what you want, it leaves no room for confusion. Right. No, I, I completely agree. And in your book, you have a, a couple stories where things just go haywire. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to encourage people to get the book. But uh, yeah, I, I, I know that there are families out there that love each other while, you know, their loved ones are alive and all is well. And, you know, they're going along and thinking everything is fine. And then something happens. Mm-hmm. Someone passes away and then all the ugliness comes out. That's right. And what I try to tell people is why not alleviate that? That's right. Why not alleviate it? If whatever you state, that's what it is. And this person could be mad at that person because you left something to them. But hey, you you made that choice. You made that decision. Right. Have to, and they have to live with it. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to live with it. And rather than have years and years of probate, probate, why not just make it easy? Why not, you know, why have the government decide what's going to happen to your right. kids, mm-hmm. to your finances, or to your house, or your cars? Why not put a plan in place? So I like the idea that the My Exit Plan and in the workbook you have a few pages where you go over the bank accounts and the insurance, all the different policies that you have, your birth certificate, uh, you know, writing your obituary, all those types of things, because if someone passes away and you're trying to put together their life in a few paragraphs, it's wrong. (laughs) You don't know, or it's wrong. You spell someone's name wrong. And it's, it's (laughs) (laughs) you know, one thing I do want, to um, make sure I get this plug in, and I don't want to forget it. Uh, when you mention bank accounts, I encourage people to put a beneficiary on your bank account because when you pass away, um, that money, even if it's listed in your will, it cannot be touched right away. Your will still has to go through probate or has to go through that legal process before anything can be touched. But if you put a beneficiary on your bank account, that money will instantly go to the person that you designated it to go to. And what that helps with is if the mortgage has to be paid or bills have to be paid or you know your funeral have to be paid for whatever the case, it can be done immediately. So let me ask you about that, because does that mean that the person who you've named has to then come to the bank with a death certificate? Yes. Okay. But they do not have to go to the court. And they don't have to wait until the court decides. You know, even with a will, um, a person can say, well, you know, my mother left me out. And I think that that was an accident. So I encourage people also, if you have children and if you're mad with one of your children or the child is not um, up to par, so to speak, you know, strung out on drugs or whatever the case, um, leave something, you know, if it's $5, leave something because then you clearly uh, are saying that I didn't forget this child. You know, I left this child something. And, and I think that that's important because I've seen where a lot of families have wound up in court, uh, would wind up in court um, trying to get that piece of the will cleared out. So, you know. Right. So there's a couple of questions mm-hmm. that are coming online. Okay. So someone's asking, what are your feelings about a trust? And you, you spoke about this briefly, but talk a little bit more about about trust and why you think they're they're important, particularly as you talk about blended families, why why trusts are so important. I think a trust is important because it allows you to speak from your grave. <laughs> and so <laughs> what I mean by that is you get to say what it is you want to happen. So in my case, you know, my husband and I could put this house in a trust. 
and we could um, make it an irrevocable trust, which means that, you know, if I go before him and let's say he's 80, 90, 100 years old and uh, he go a month, a year, whatever after me, well, prior to that, no one can take him by the hand and say, okay, dad, just sign right here right. and change his will to leave whatever to whomever. In a trust, if we say that this is what's going to be done with the house, that's what's going to be done with the house. And okay. however we say it's to be divided is how. So no one else can come along and change that. And that's for me. That's for me. I think that a trust is very important when you have a blended family. And do you suggest then that if you have a piece of property that you, as opposed to leaving it with, leaving it to two people who are related, but they're just two people that don't necessarily live together, is, do you recommend having the property in trust at that point? Because well, then it, they could bend, it just, or it just depends. Well, it depends because if it's not, um, you know, if you're not in a situation like I am, I have a disabled child, you know, I need to know that if I leave here, that there's a place for my child to live. But if you're talking about, you know, a house that you don't care who lives in it, or you're not going to be here and you're not leaving behind someone that needs to have that house, then, you know, you can designate who you want the property to go to. And you can do that in a will. And okay. you, I've never seen a case where that's been a problem. Not to say that there won't be a problem, <laughs> but pretty much, you know, that's a real clear um, and cut deal. You say who you want it to go to and that's it. Okay. Uh, another question is, so having a name as a beneficiary on a bank account, that is not a secondary or anything like that. They cannot access it while you are alive and well, correct? Correct. They cannot touch your money. They cannot find out how much you got in the bank. You know, now you want to make sure that beneficiary is not going to be somebody <laughs> that'll come along and want to knock you off and get $20, you know. But, um, but in all honesty, you know, they cannot touch um, your bank account. They can't go and get information on it. They will not be contacted until the bank is notified that you've passed away and you show up with a death certificate and ID showing that you are who, you, you know, say you are. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's, it's not automatic that you just go into bank and say, my aunt passed away. Um, and I want her money. Uh, and I want her money. <laughs> you have to come with the death certificate. Yeah. Yeah. You and you want to let that person know that you've named them as that. I, I would imagine right, because, because right. otherwise well, how would they know or well, would the bank contacted them? The bank would contact, contact them. I just went to the bank um, with the family. And even though I knew because I helped to draw up the will and I knew about the bank accounts, they did not know. Um, and when I say I helped to draw up the will, I just gave them some suggestions. Mm -hmm. But their family members did not know that they were beneficiaries. Now, I don't know that I would be too quick to say, hey, you're the beneficiary on my life insurance or you're the beneficiary, you know, <laughs> I don't know, you know, COVID's been making people kind of crazy. You know? <laughs> Lose their mind. So you don't have to really, you know, you can put it in your document, which you're yes. going to put safekeeping. You okay. Know? But, but the bank will be, will inform you if in fact will, you are. Because you'll give that contact information and then, um, you know, in the process, like if my daughter, you know, decides to move from one state to another or whatever, then I'm going to update the bank mm -hmm. with her contact information. But mm -hmm. you give the social security number as well. Right. So they'll track you down. Okay. Okay. And then uh, along the same questioning, what if there is an account that has two people on the account and one person passes away? then the money belongs to the other person. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the other person, it's up to them then to say, once that, if that happens, it's up to them to put a beneficiary on the account. Yes. At that point. Yeah, you okay. have to think about also if both people die together. Right. You know, at accidents where mm -hmm. husband and wife have died together. So it's still good 
you know, for each person, if you have a joint bank account, to designate a beneficiary. Because if you both die at the same time, then the money would be dispersed to whomever your beneficiary is, whoever you've appointed. But let's say if my husband and I have a joint bank account and um, he dies and he has my nephew or someone on as his beneficiary, well, guess what? I'm still living. It's my bank account, so nephew's not going to get a dime. <laughs> you know? but, um, but that's okay. you know, just food for thought. Yeah, no. Okay, that, that makes sense. So in your book, you talk about a story of meeting with a group of women. Mm-hmm. This is in 2009. And you suggested that the women add their husbands to their life insurance policy. And if I read that incorrectly, you can let me know. But ex- could you explain that a little bit? Yes, I want to make sure I make that clear. Um, so what I meant by that was let's say, I think in this case, um, her husband had a policy and she was to receive 50% of the policy and his children from a previous marriage were to receive the other 50%. Well, she felt like that 50% was not going to be enough. It wasn't a large policy from the start, but (laughs) she did not feel that that 50% was going to be enough for her to take care of the house or at least to get a good running start. So as we talked about it, she asked me, she said, well, what would you suggest? And so I told her, I said, look, on my job, I was able to take out an additional policy on my husband. And so I had my policy on my job, but then I was able to add him, uh, which is like, the same policy, but I was able to add him to it. And of course, I'm the beneficiary of that. So if anything were to happen to him or when his time come, you know, if I'm still here, then those proceeds would come to me. So that way, I don't have to worry about the decisions that he make with the policy that he has on himself, because I'm making sure I'm covered. Does that make sense? Yeah, so so it's the same policy. You're adding him to it so that if, if either of you passes before the other, you're going to get the benefit. And you're not necessarily worried about how much he's put designated on his own policy. Correct. Correct. Okay. okay, I'd never heard of that. So when I read it, I said, wow, that is an interesting concept. And you know what, let me say this. I won't say that it's the same policy. I know it's with the same company. Company. Mm -hmm. Because I have my policy with a set amount um, that I was able to add to my policy as an employee. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then I would say able to add maybe another 100,000 or whatever for my spouse. And so, you know, I just say everyone needs to check with their employer and um and see just what they offer or check with their insurance company and see what they offer you know for spouses but you want to make sure um that you have something that would offset the deficit so in other words okay you know if that's what you want to do if you want to give the other 50 percent to your seven grown children who you've not seen in 20 years, who've never even given you a Father's Day card. That's, you know, if that's what you want to do, okay. But I need to make sure I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So can you talk a little bit about uh, prepaying for funerals? One of my biggest pet peeves, and this has been fairly recent, is the fact that someone passes away and the family will start a crowdfunding page. Mm-hmm. I'm not pointing out any crowdfunder. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But they'll start a crowdfunding page to raise money to have, to bury this person, right? Mm-hmm. Their loved one. And while I think crowdfunding is really important for some things, raising money for, you know, okay, we're raising money because we need to feed this family, a few families, COVID relief, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there was a, a crowdfunding that happened uh, several weeks ago that I saw that I, I was absolutely amazed at. Uh, they started this crowdfunding because they were trying to find, uh, we're trying to raise money to bury this person. And they had asked for a certain amount and it far exceeded it. And, and they said this was going to help the person's children with their you know schooling because the person unfortunately was killed. So I think that there are there are definite benefits to using crowdfunding, but I'm just curious if you think that that should be the option or should an option be prepaying for a funeral? Well, two, I have two answers for that. Crowdfunding, um, I just, I kind of cringe on it being used to bury someone. I am just a firm believer that you need to figure it out one way or another. If you have to put away a dollar a month, you need to get some insurance and make sure that you have that covered to some degree. Um, I think that crowdfunding uh, is, is, is a good thing when you know there's been a homicide and the person leaves behind children and you know, there are really no benefits. And in a situation like that, you know, I have made contributions and I'm okay with that. But for the sole purpose of paying for the funeral and the burial, I'm just not okay with that. You know, and that's my personal opinion and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> that is my personal opinion as well. I'm sticking so, to it. So prepaying, um, you asked about prepaying and I think that, I mean, I like the idea of that. I know a lot of people, I've had people to ask me, so what happens if the funeral home don't, uh, the funeral home goes out of business? And so what I did was I checked with uh, the board of morticians or they have a board that covers funeral homes. Mm -hmm. And what I was told was that funeral homes pay into an insurance as in order to have their license. And so if they go out of business, the money that they've paid into that insurance will be what is used to take care of the person that prepaid. Now, you can't just walk up and say, hey, I paid them $5,000 for my funeral, but I can't find my receipt. You have to have your documentation, proof of payment, the contract, everything. And, um, and I'm you know, pretty sure that they will work that out. But prepaying, uh, you know, if you don't feel that you have someone that is responsible enough to make decisions for you, or if you just decide, you know what, I don't want to leave this headache on my children or on my parents. Those are the people that make the decision let me just go if you just don't have anyone you know i have a lady i'm working with now she called me she's can you send me a draft program she's prepaid she's doing a program she's getting everything together to send to me because she wants to make sure she has it all together mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so prepaying really just removes the stress of having someone else to have to go through it for you. Right. And I think finding a reputable funeral home that's been around for a while. Yeah. Um, I think that people don't necessarily have to worry that the funeral home is going to go out of business. That's one place that I don't think is going to go out of business anytime in the near future. Well, although if, some do. If you get funeral homes that have been around for, you know, a while. Um, because there are a lot of funeral services that pop up all over town and they're in business for six months and then you can't find them, you know, mm -hmm. so you want to make sure that, you know, I, I believe that choosing a funeral home is like choosing a hairdresser, a barber, you know, you want someone that you see um, their presentation, you see what they have to offer. And they have a um, they have a good reputation, so they've been around for a while. You mm -hmm. don't want the guy down the street that just came and knocked on your door and said, "Hey, remember me? I'm Joe. I grew up with your kids. Oh, by the way, I just opened up a funeral home." You know, right. you don't want that's not what you want to go with. 
You want someone who's been to school, who understands the process yes. of being in funeral home business. Yeah, and someone that's been in business for a while. Yes, for a yeah. while, for a while. Yes, I agree, I agree. Yeah. So uh, another question for you is, do you think that parents should have life insurance for their kids? And at what point do you think uh, should young people have, have a will? Okay, so life insurance. I have, I don't know, I forget how many, nine grandchildren, however many grandchildren. Well, I think your bio says seven, but okay. okay. I may it have could be. Up a couple. I may have picked up a couple of somebody else's along. It's the book. <laughs> but um, I know with my children uh, from birth, I've had life insurance on them. You know how you get the little Gerber baby? Yes. And then when they got older, um, I learned that I was able to add them to my policy as a writer. And a lot of people don't know about that. And I'm just baffled that um, people just don't know. Well, anyhow, you can add your child to your policy as a writer with most insurance companies and most employers for uh, as minimum as a dollar a month. Okay. Okay, so there's no excuse. And I think that families should have insurance on their children because I have buried, uh, I've funeralized numerous children, I mean, several children. And a little girl, nine years old from a heart attack, a baby die at birth, you know, just several children. And people think that babies don't die. Children don't die, but they do. And it's heartbreaking when you don't have the money to pay for your child's burial or your child's funeral. And then you have to make a decision to cremate your loved one because you don't have the money. Yes, yes. But I think that every parent, and then... As a, as a writer, I think, it, I know with my grandchildren, um, the writer uh, goes up to age 26. And by the time they're 26, they should be stable enough to have their own policy. And if they're not stable enough, you know, $10 a month, get something just to make sure that you're not stressed out with trying to figure out how to bury your child or your grandchild. Right, and, and try to get insurance as, as young as you can. Yeah. <laughs> because insurance policies go up as you get old and incrementally within the 10 years. It's just like, wow, you, you hit that 10 year mark from 50 to 60 and it, it, it just oh, yeah. it skyrockets. Does. It does. Because they're like, okay, we're gonna have to pay on this. This yeah, person is- I Talking about insurance real quick, um, I, I inherited a brother who was had some um, health, mental challenges from birth, and my mom died. And so the, her last words was, Rhonda, please take care of your brother. So what did I do? I moved him in with me. I called my insurance agent, and I got a $10,000 policy. Not that I wanted to make money off of his death when he died. Right. But just so happened, he did die a few years ago. And I was able to take that policy and pay for his service. And it wasn't a hardship on my household. Mm -hmm. So if mm -hmm. you have a loved one, whether it's your parents, you know, look into AARP or just look into getting something because we're all going to die one day. And when we go, if you're not prepared, it's going to be hell and high waters because your family is going to fall apart because no one, you know, is going to want to pay for the bill. So I'm going to um, let you just say any last minute things that you want to say in terms of, of life planning, any last minute suggestions or, or ideas that we should keep in mind in this COVID environment. You told me the story of your, of your daughter prior to us getting on the call. Um, and her just making sure that you had everything you needed and she was going to the hospital. So any, any pieces of advice to give us? Uh, well, one other thing I do want to uh, mention um, is life insurance. Uh, and I know we've talked about life insurance for children, 
But um, a couple of years ago, um, one of my coworkers, she was a she's a volunteer at the church, but her son, uh, I think he was like 49 years old. And I talked about him in the book. And he uh, was a college professor, very smart young man, had it going on, living in New York and just doing his thing. But he died suddenly and he did not have a will. He did not have a beneficiary on his insurance policy. Yeah, I remember the story. I was, yeah, I was so surprised. His like, mom is still trying to settle his estate. Oh. And so I challenge everyone to make sure you designate a beneficiary on your life insurance policy because without it, you leave your loved ones having to really go through a hot mess. Mm-hmm. And that's just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And then lastly, I'll say um, with this COVID thing, I mean, we just don't know, you know, what tomorrow is going to look like. So I believe that going virtual is going to be the thing of tomorrow because people are realizing now, hey, if I'm in LA and my cousin died in Maryland, you know, and I really don't have the funds or I really don't have the leave or time to travel back and forth to and from Maryland, um, I can be a part of the service virtually. And right. so what we've been doing at First Baptist is just trying to pull out all the stops, do everything that we can to make that little 10-person celebration a wonderful celebration. And so there are things, creative things that you can do, like um, bringing your speakers in uh, via a video, bringing your soloists in via a video. You know, they don't have to be there, but they will be there. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Right, they are, right. They will They're be a part, part of it. Service. Yeah. And then people that uh, would not normally be able to attend, they can tend, attend virtually. And so that's the hot thing for today. I truly appreciate you for what you're doing. I appreciate you for being here talking to us tonight. And I want to leave with two things. One is I want to read this from your book because I thought that this was really poignant in terms of talking about why we need to create the plan and why we can't be afraid to create the plan and talk about these things. And this is a quote from your book. And it says, recognizing that this earth is not our final resting place and that we all will die one day, it is only fair to your loved ones that you take the responsibility of providing them with your desires and the necessary information to make your arrangements when God calls you to your final resting place. I could not agree more. And again, I thank you so, so much. And one of the things that I want to leave folks with is we've heard of so many celebrities uh, passing away without a will. And to me, that is just mind boggling. It's like, how, how, how do you not have a will? Um, but I understand that Kobe Bryant did have a will. Do you know who didn't have a will? Jimi Hendrix. Jimi yeah. Hendrix did not have a will. And I just find that to be mind boggling. And in this day and age, even pre-COVID, we just have to have these things done. We have to make sure that we do not leave a mess for our family members. We have our you know, in order. Let me add this to sure. uh, people. You know, people often ask me, well, why is it that people don't create a plan? Why is it that people don't do their will on the power of attorney? And some people are just afraid to talk about that. They think that if they talk about it, that they're going to die today. Well, guess what? We're all going to die one day. So, you know, it's no need to be afraid. My, my belief is that if you go ahead and get it done now, you could focus on living tomorrow. You don't have mm-hmm. to about dying because everything has been taken care of and so some people are afraid some people are just too busy you know they say i'm gonna get to it when i get around to it and they just never get it done 
And then um, there's another group of people that attend seminars and then they walk away uh, saying, well, it's going to cost me from $2,500 to $3,500 to get my will and my power of attorney. I don't have that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Let me close on this. If you cannot afford an attorney, you can get a piece of paper, a pen, your laptop, whatever your means of uh, jotting down a document and create your own will. You can go to the website. There are so many legal Zooms, legal whatever, that you can go to and create a will. But just do it. Create a will. Uh, Here in Prince George's County, you can file your will for $5 at the Register of Wills office. So just get it done. You know, don't, if you don't have the money to get a lawyer, do it yourself, but just do it. That is an excellent point. Just, just do it. And could you tell people how they could get in touch with you? Maybe order the book, the workbook? Uh, utilize sure. your services if they're in Maryland or outside of Maryland, because I guess you talk to people that are also outside all over <laughs> outside of Maryland. So yes, that's all. That's your I other think. one. <laughs> it is my extra plan. But what I did was I simplified it because I have my one website links into the other. So I just tell people Rhonda at RhondaGreen.org. Okay, Rhonda R H O N D A at RhondaGreen.org. Right, right. Right. And that's green, G-R-E-E-N, no E. Correct. You know, you can just go to the website, send a message. Um, You can email me at info at rondagreen.org. And uh, we will definitely respond and do whatever we can to help you get your house in order. Thank you for listening to Heirloom and Legacy. If you want to learn more about the work of Heirloom Estate and Legacy Preservation, you can find us at LegacyPreservation.life, on Instagram at Legacy Preservation, and on Twitter at Heirloom Legacy. Many thanks to my exceptional executive assistant, Queen Karen Garrison, aka Mommy Activist, and my outstanding engineer, Jonathan Reed. Thank you again for choosing Heirloom and Legacy. Please like, subscribe, and tell your friends about us.